Lord willing, we'll finish John uh, chapter 4 this morning. It's been a great journey, and we've kind of taken our... uh, our time going through the Gospel of John, as you know, there's some books that, uh, that really just afford us to really not rush through, and I don't think I've ever been known to rush through anything, but, but I, just, I just love the Word of God, don't you? I love the way it, it, uh, the Lord just speaks to us, and there's so much here we can learn. If we would just read the Word of God, our, our hearts would be changed. And our worries and the things uh, of, of this life will we'll, we'll we'll be able to deal with them because we know the truth. And the truth will do what? It will set you free. And who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. And his word is truth, right? That means two things. Uh, his word that we have in front of us and his word, God the Father's word, is Jesus Christ. He is the, the redeemer, the redeemer. And so as we look, uh, we're going to finish this chapter, Lord willing, like I said today, my hope is to, but there's a lot here, and I don't want to uh, uh, rush through it, but last time we got together, we really looked at just the uh, verse 15, really, and some into 16, and remember, Jesus now is at the Last Supper. In fact, these last chapters, really chapters 13 through 17, are all happening, the, 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 the place, the venue for those, those chapters, 13 through 17, is in an upper room where they had the Passover lamb, they had the Passover meal, and Jesus instituted what we would call communion today for the first time. And Jesus knew that he wouldn't be with his disciples very much longer in the flesh, meaning humanly speaking, he was with them for three and a half years, and now he's going to depart from them. And what does a good shepherd do before he departs? He prepares. That's what any good shepherd, any good parent would do before they leave. You know, people on their deathbed, when they're they're about to leave this earth and they know they're terminal and their, their death is imminent, their heart is to prepare those who are left behind. That's what they desire to do. And nobody's thinking about money, <laughs> and they're, not th- they're thinking about family. They're thinking about family, and that's what Jesus is thinking about. He knows his death is imminent. Hours from that moment, he would be crucified, but thank God, three days later, what? He rose again. Death no longer had defeated him. It never had de- defeated him. He defeated it openly, Right? But Jesus is now preparing his disciples. He's preparing his disciples. And you remember last week we looked at this. um, And so he's telling them that he's going to go away, but that he's going to send another comforter or another helper. If you've got a King James, it says comforter. If you've got a new King James, it says helper. Same thing. The Greek word is parakletos, the paraclete. And that means somebody who draws alongside of you. And really, when you and I came to Christ, the Holy Spirit was drawing alongside of us. He was with us at times, wooing us, if you would, to himself. And then once we are wooed to him, once we take the bait, once we say, you know what, I'm in love with you, you take the bait, and then he comes in you. He takes up residence in your heart. And you're born again when the Spirit of God comes in you. And this is something unique to the New Testament church. But then it doesn't end there, and we'll look at this today, because Jesus is saying, I'm going to indwell you by my Spirit. And he he breathes upon his disciples. He breathes upon them, just as God breathed into Adam in that first, and when he created Adam, he breathed, and he breathed new life into him, and basically brought him to life out of dust. He formed him out of the clay, breathed into him, and he became a living soul, just as that creation event When Jesus, when God breathed into Adam, so too now, because we need a new nature, God breathes into us his spirit, and we are saved. We are born again when that happens. And that's very important. Because unless the spirit of God is in you, you're not one of his. That's what the Bible says. It tells us that in Romans. The Spirit of God has not indwelt you. You are not one of Christ. You may be a religious person. You may have given a lot to the church. You may be the greatest giver. But see, God doesn't care about how much we give. He cares about our heart. He's more concerned about you and I. He doesn't care about money. I don't know if you knew this, but most churches today, they're more concerned about money. 
But God is more concerned about your soul and where you're going to spend eternity. Because he loves you and he wants you to be with him. Because there's only one alternative, folks, other than knowing Christ, and that's spending an eternity apart from him in hell, where there is torment and fire. It is not a good place. And it will be forever, do you understand? And that fact scared me to death, and that actually brought me to Christ. Don't let anybody fool you thinking, well, he's you know, talking about these difficult things, and I'm scared. Well, listen, you know, sometimes I needed to be scared before I came to Christ. I needed to be fearful before I came to him. <laughs> Did it, were any of you fearful? Maybe you didn't know, but I, need, I, I was fearful because I knew that if I died at that moment, I was taking a, the corkscrew down to Hades, okay? But God loves us. He, he loves us too much to see us go to that place. And he wants to bless you. And so Jesus is preparing. And he's telling them, guys, the Spirit of God has been with you, but he will be in you. He will be in you. Just a few days later, the Spirit of God would be in them. And then he tells them later on that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Yes, three different characteristics or relationships that we have with the Spirit of God. With you, in you, and upon you. And it's so important to understand that. Because when, you're, when the Spirit of God is in you, your ticket is stamped to glory. But I need power in this world of sin. I need power even with this body of death that I still have, where I still have this old nature. There's a new nature in me if I'm, the Spirit of God is in me, and it's battling for uh, dominance. And sometimes I let this old nature rear its ugly head. And God wants to squelch it. He wants to push it down. He wants to step on it and stand on it and says, no further. You're not going to express yourself any longer. There's a new sheriff in town, and I got a bigger gun. A 44 Magnum, like back in the old days with Clint Eastwood. Remember that 44 Mag? And he had two of them, too, and I liked that very much. Anyway. <laughs> so that's what Jesus is doing. He's preparing his disciples like a good shepherd, he's preparing them. And so let's look at uh, John chapter uh, 14. If you remember, last time we were together, we looked at uh, the fact that the, the helper, this paraclete, would come alongside of us. We looked at him coming alongside, wooing us into, into the kingdom. And we also know that he indwells us. In fact, the Bible tells us that there are these three relationships that we have. And we'll look at those again today. Some will be a review for us from last week. But he comes with us or alongside of us. The Greek word is para. You can look this up in the Greek if you have a Strong's Concordance. But he comes alongside of us. And then finally, Jesus says, But you know him, for he, the Spirit of God, he dwells with you, but he will be in you. Notice it hadn't happened yet. He will be in you. And this is when the Spirit of God woos us and he finally comes into our hearts um, and so we looked at that, and in fact, uh, he says, he will be in you, and this is when the Spirit of God indwells. The Greek word is en, means the same thing. It means the same thing. In fact, if you look at Romans 8, and, and I'll just read these to you, because this is important to know. It says in Romans 8, verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Greek word is en. That's the relationship. It's gotta, he's got to be in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. He's not his. See, people in the Old Testament, they weren't called Christians. Christians is a new term in the New Testament. It came from Antioch when they first started calling these believers, these people who were walking with Jesus, they called them Christians. And what it means is Christ ones. It means those who believe in Christ. And more than just believing him, they believe what he said. And they held to the things that he said. That's what a Christian is. But prior to that, Christian, the word term Christian was unknown the Old Testament saints, they just believed in God. And by their faith in God, that is what saved them. They didn't have the Spirit of God indwelling us like you and I have today. What a great privilege we have in, the new, in this uh, after Christ has died and rose again. He's given us the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit to indwell us. 
And how wonderful is that? But notice, he says, and if Christ is in you, and we're still in Romans 8 here, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I don't know about you, but when you, know, when you hear about people being possessed by a spirit, we normally think in the negative. We think of The Exorcist. Anybody see that movie when you were younger? It was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I remember seeing it when I was, I forget how old I was. It was I was really young, and I saw it, and I couldn't sleep for days. I couldn't sleep for days. But see, the spirit of God, you don't have to fear the spirit of God. The spirit of God is gentle. And the Spirit of God loves you, and when He indwells you, you're, being, you're possessed by a spirit. See, everybody's possessed by a spirit, or at least influenced by a spirit. The vast majority of the world is influenced by another spirit, the spirit of Antichrist. But you and I have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God indwelling us. There's nothing to be afraid of. Ask him into your heart if you haven't already. Become a born-again believer. And believe me, when you do, your life will change. Your desires, your passions, your whole life will change. Mine changed, and i got to be honest with you, I had my own track in my life. I wanted to go a certain way, and God got a hold of me and changed me and spun me around, and I literally repented. I went the opposite direction. That's what repentance is. I'm going one way, and God gets a hold of me, and I do an about-face, and I turn the opposite direction. Instead of giving in to the desires of my flesh, feeding my flesh, and the desires of it, now I desire to, to, to be governed completely by His Spirit and doing the things that please Him. And His, things aren't, his commandments aren't grievous, are they? It's only good. It's only when I finally surrender this, this rebel in my heart, when I finally surrender and I put up the white flag my life really begins. And is it easy? No, it's not easy. And if anybody tells you it's easy, they're lying to you. You then become aware of the real battle. <laughs> Until then, you were just a prisoner of arms. You were a prisoner in arms. You were a prisoner of war. And now you actually are a victor in Christ because of him who's in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? And remember that, folks. You know, my daughter, I remember, and, and she's not here this morning, so I can say this. I'm not going to embarrass her, but I remember, you know, every child, when they're young, they have this, this period of time where they're afraid of the dark. And I told her one day, I said, Honey, Jesus is in you, and darkness ought to be afraid of you. You don't need to fear darkness. Darkness fears you. And I believe that. Never forget that. You and God as a majority. Actually, without us, he's still a majority. But with him in us, the spirit of God in us, there is nothing you need to be afraid of. You can walk in, in the middle of a satanic church and preach the gospel and fear no evil. <laughs> Right, the demons are shrieking, people are jumping out of the windows, you know, they're, you know, people, you know, you know I'm just having a little Hollywood moment there. But you get, you get my point. You are greater. The Spirit of God in you is greater. You don't need to fear. Darkness fears you. That's why it attacks you. And the more you're attacked, the more you realize the battle is on. The battle is on. Has anybody realized there's kind of a battle happening right now? Have you realized that in the world, in America especially? There's a battle going on. Anybody aware of it? Oh, yeah. And Jesus, speaking to Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. The idea is, the Greek word is geneo anothen. It means literally to be born again, spiritually born. We were all born physically. In fact, his dialogue with Nicodemus was such, Nicodemus was like, Lord, how can I be born again? Can I crawl into my mother's womb again and be born? And Jesus says, no, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. We were all born of the flesh. We all came out. We were born of water. Water. We were floating around in that little amniotic sack all nice and warm until it broke one day. And then out we came, and then we started to cry because we were very happy in our hot tub. 
But just as we were born physically, we also need to be born spiritually because we are, our spirit is at enmity with God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's why we need a new nature. We need a new governor over us, and that is the spirit of God in us. And, and so Nicodemus and Jesus had this wonderful dialogue, and, and Nicodemus came to the Lord later on in life. Later on, actually, in a few years from there, he came to the Lord and he helped Joseph of Arimathea take the body of Jesus down from the cross and they, they anointed his body with uh, ointments and, and, and things and they buried him together, these two wonderful men of God. And so, and notice, he will be in you. Jesus said to the disciples, he dwells with you and will be in you. So let me ask a question. When did the Holy Spirit indwell the disciples? Now, there's a lot of scriptures up here. I'm going to leave this up here for a while because we've got a lot of things to talk about. So when did this actually happen? When were they actually indwelt with the Spirit of God? And I believe if, if you open your Bibles to John chapter 20, just open there if you would. Most of the time I'm spoon-feeding you and uh, I'm just kind of giving you the scriptures. But go there, please, because this is a, a, a critical passage. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. Let's look at it. It says, Then the same day, and now this occurred after Jesus' crucifixion, after his resurrection, the very day, the Sunday, that he rose from the grave, that very evening he came and he spoke to the disciples in the upper room while the door was closed. And it says, the same day at evening, verse 19, being the first day of the week, Sunday that is, when the doors were shut and where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And notice verse 22, very important. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. We believe that that is the moment that they were born again that the Spirit of God indwelt those 12 men, or the 11, actually. Judas was already gone. And he breathed on them. The Greek word is emphaseo, and really what it means is to blow at or to breathe on, to puff, literally. And the last time we, uh, this word only occurs um, in the Old Testament, uh, you know that there's a, a thing, a, a writing called the Septuagint, which is really just, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and some Greek translators translated that Hebrew into Greek because we know the New Testament was written in Greek. So they translated the Hebrew into Greek, and they translated this word, and it's only used twice, once here in John 20, and the other time we see it is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where God breathed into Adam. He breathed into him. He resuscitated him. He brought him to life. It's the very similar word. And so we believe that this was when the disciples were born again. So what does this mean? Does this mean that everyone in the Old Testament from the moment of creation in the Garden of Eden up until Jesus, does that mean that none of those people were saved and that they're not going to heaven? No, they're going to go to heaven. But it was a different thing because they believed, all of them believed they believed in God, and they believed in the promise of the Messiah. They believed in this one whom the scriptures for hundreds of years had been talking about and prophesying of. They put their faith in God. They put their faith in Christ, and it was by their faith that they were saved. That's how it worked in the Old Testament. By their faith, they were saved. And even if one of the disciples were to die because they ate undercooked lamb chops while they were there with Jesus, before he breathed on them, would they have gone to heaven? Yes, they would have. Why? By faith. Because they believed in Jesus. But now he's going to pour out his spirit. He's going to breathe into them. They're going to receive a new nature. And, King David, and it says in Ephesians 2 verse 8, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of, your, of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Because we would if we could. If we had something to do with it, we would boast and say, I've done this great thing and therefore God owes me. Hey, listen, God owes us nothing. I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. And I'll just be honest with you. Even on my best days, I deserve hell. <laughs> but I'm not going to hell. 
And if you're a believer, neither are you. But see, King David was saved, and he didn't have the Spirit of God indwelling him, but he believed and had faith in God, and he was saved by grace through faith. And so this indwelling of the Holy Spirit was a new relationship because of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. He would send the Spirit of God. And again, remember that if we don't have Christ in us, we are not his. But when we have the Spirit of God in us, this is what they call, the King James calls it, the earnest of our salvation. It's basically a guarantee. If in your new King James, it'll say it's a guarantee. It's a down payment. God, when, he, when you go to buy a car, you put a, you, you know, most of us anyway, unless you got a lot of cash, um, most of us put a down payment on a car. We put a couple thousand dollars down on the car, and then we make payments on it, and then finally we come back and we, at our last payment, we receive that possession and we take it with us. That's usually how they do it. Now we can take the car home with us, and they, they're hoping that we'll continue to pay the payments. But in most places in the world, that's not the way it is. You've got to make payments, and then when you pay it off, you take it home. But the earnest is the down payment. The Spirit of God in you is that earnest. It's the down payment until Christ comes for us, hopefully today, hopefully before the next word I speak. Wouldn't that be great? He's like, I'm going to interrupt you, Rob. <laughs> Please do. It's all about you, Lord. You just, you know, whatever. Don't worry, we'll edit the tape. It's all right. You know, but when he comes for us, he's going to take possession physically of us. He's put the down payment in. He's going to redeem what's left, and he's going to change it, and he's going to completely give it a new body, and we're going to be caught up together, and we'll meet him in the air. That's what we call the rapture of the church. It's coming. Do you believe that? The Bible tells us all about it. The Lord revealed that to the Apostle Paul. But it's a guarantee, it's an earnest, it's a down payment. In 2 Corinthians 1, it says, verse 21, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It's a seal that he puts on you that is irrevocable. When that seal, when God places the seal upon you, it's not a seal that he's going to come and take off again and say, well, you know, I changed my mind, you know, because your thoughts really aren't that great. You know, yesterday you thought that evil thought, I got to take the seal off again. You're not one of mine. I'm sorry. Is that, does that sound like God to you? Doesn't he know what I'm going to be thinking? Doesn't Psalm 139 tell us that he knows my thoughts afar off? So if he's going to seal me today, he's got everything else covered. It's under the blood. I just need to turn from it and confess it, right? He's got it covered. That same seal, he's going to seal us, and, and, he's, uh, and that Spirit of God in us is the guarantee. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. In Ephesians, it tells us, in whom, speaking of Jesus, that you trusted in him. After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, notice, having believed first, then you were sealed with that Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. That's when he redeems your body. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that day. I'm tired of this body. You're all getting an upgrade, and it looks beautiful. And you don't have to call Microsoft or Apple to upgrade it either. They're not going to direct debit your credit card. No, God's going to come. He's going to take you in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, it's going to happen so quick. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we which are alive and remain will be transformed and caught up together to meet him in the clouds, and forever we will be with the Lord. Hallelujah! Maranatha! <laughs> right? Lord, come quickly. And so it wasn't until after Jesus' resurrection that the Holy Spirit would be given. Notice it was after his resurrection that he breathed upon the disciples in that room in John chapter 20. That's why I wanted us to read that. In other words, the indwelling of the Spirit and the pouring out or the baptism of the Holy Spirit wouldn't occur until after he was glorified. What does it tell us in John 7? Verse 38, it says, He who believes in me, Jesus said, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers 
rivers of living water, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When was Jesus glorified? At his resurrection. He was glorified. And it was after that that the Spirit of God was given to his disciples first. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came upon the believers. And now when we receive Christ into our hearts, he indwells us. And then we just wait for that empowerment from on high as he sees fit. As he sees fit. And so again, just to recap, we have these, um, these three relationships with us, in us, and upon us. And the Holy Spirit came upon believers in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so we're speaking of this relationship of God when he comes upon us. We're already born again. We're already going to heaven, but now we need power to live, right? But even in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Spirit of God indwelling them, but the Spirit of God certainly came upon them to empower them for certain things. And we see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We look at numbers. When Moses, it says that the, the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of, of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand here with you, and then I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take of the Spirit that is upon you, and will put the same upon them. Do you see that? Upon them. The same anointing that Moses had, he was going to do the same thing for those elders because they needed power to help Moses and to minister to the people of Israel. And then later on in that same chapter, in verse 25, it says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him, epi, that's the Greek name, upon him, and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the Spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But the Spirit of God came upon Old Testament uh, people. We know that Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verse 33, that all the Midianites and the Amalekites, the people of the east, they gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He empowered him for a specific task. And the Spirit of God did that in the Old Testament. He did that. And the Holy Spirit came upon Samson in Judges 13, verse 24. It says, So the woman bore a child and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. In Judges 14, verse 6, when, this is when Samson encountered the lion on his way to Timnah to meet a Philistine woman, which he shouldn't have been doing, by the way. Bad boy. What does it say in verse 6 of Judges 14? And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion to shreds. He came upon him. And then the Holy Spirit came on Saul, uh, uh, the Israel's first king. Upon Saul, not Saul of the New Testament, but Saul of the Old Testament. It tells us in 1 Samuel 11, verse 6, that the Spirit of God came upon Saul. Didn't indwell him, but came upon him. And why? Even though Saul, and God knew this ahead of time, even though Saul was a man who was uh, very self-willed, and he wasn't an obedient man, he didn't obey God and the things that he asked him to do, but the Spirit of God came on them. Why? Because God wanted to give him every opportunity to be a successful king, even though he didn't choose him. He knew he would be a disaster. But he's like, Saul, there's no way you're going to be able to govern my people and do what I want you to do unless you have the Spirit upon you. And so there were times when the Spirit of God would come upon Saul. And the Holy Spirit came upon David, it says in 1 Samuel 16. It says that when Samuel visited Jesse, David's father, it says he took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel arose and went to Ramah. See, David also knew 
that the Spirit could be removed from him at that time as well. The Spirit of God didn't indwell the Old Testament believers, but the Spirit came upon them, certainly. And that's why David would make this statement in Psalm 51. He says, Do not take away your presence from me, and, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David was very much aware. He saw it in the life of Saul. He saw the Spirit of God when Saul was, you know, when God uh, ministered to him. He noticed there were times when Saul was doing really well, and he also noticed that when the Spirit of God left Saul, he was a disaster. Then an evil spirit came upon Saul. It tells us that in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. That's pretty troubling. 1 Samuel 18, verse 12, Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. The Spirit of God was no longer upon Saul. And we also saw the Holy Spirit departing from Samson. In Judges 16, it says, The Philistines are upon you, Samson, Delilah said. And so he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before, as at other times, and shake myself free. But notice, this is such a horrible thing. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He was so used to this, the Spirit of God coming upon him, and he took it for granted. He, he acted like it was his birthright or something, that he could somehow just manufacture this himself. And God's going, oh, no. Samson, when you're in the flesh, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. <laughs> I'm not going to come upon you in power unless I've given, I'm doing something for a specific reason. And we see the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And again, this new... Uh, experience that we have with the Spirit of God in the New Testament. He, first off, he indwells us, and then he tells us that he will come upon us, just as he did in the, in the Old Testament. But it would be something brand new. We'd have the Spirit in us and then upon us. And the Old Testament prophecies even told us this. It told us in the book of Joel, let me read it to you in chapter 2, verse 28. This is the one that you know very well. In Joel's, in the Old Testament, it says in Chapter 2, verse 28, it says, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Obviously, before the New Testament time, before Jesus was born, several hundred years before, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my Spirit I will pour out my spirit in those days. So that even the Old Testament prophesied of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit even after the incident with the Old Testament saints, with Samson and Moses and David, even after that, going forward in time, the Spirit of God would say, there's something else that I'm going to do. And even Isaiah in chapter 44 it says, Yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Notice that. Doesn't that sound familiar when Jesus said, I'll send a helper? Yes. Same kind of language. I will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and for you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Notice verse 3. For I will pour out on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. God was yet to do it. He was going to do it again. And it would even be more glorious for us because we'd have the spirit of God indwelling us. And now he's going to be upon us at different times for certain reasons. Again, not for our entertainment, not the kind of stuff you see on television. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons why this is so important that we go through, because the world has uh, they've seen a lot of stuff on television. Of these guys who claim to be uh, touting the Holy Spirit, and you know, uh, these guys will take off their jacket, and they'll look at somebody, and they'll go, pow, and that person will fall down and start to wiggle. Pow! And that person will start, you know, fall down and start to, they'll take their jacket off and they'll wing it at somebody like they, like they are the originator, like they are the manufacturer of it. And God is not into that. I can tell you that right now. He's not, because what does it do? It glorifies a man. The man is glorified. And whenever a man or a movement is glorified, it is not the Spirit of God. 
If Jesus is glorified, it's the Spirit, because that's what he's come to do. And we're going to learn that as we get into the next couple of chapters, that he's come to glorify him. The Spirit of God glorifies Jesus. He doesn't glorify a television evangelist, a podcast. He doesn't do any of that. He anoints, or he, he brings glory to Jesus. That's what he does. He doesn't glorify a man or a movement. And then in the New Testament, we see this anticipation of the promise of the Father. Remember, in that upper room, the same day that Jesus was um, resurrected, it tells us in Luke 24, when Jesus appeared to his disciples, and this was at the same time around John 20 that we read, where he breathed upon him, okay? So he breathed upon them, but then he said this in, in verse 46 in Luke, he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. But notice what he said also. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now Jesus has already breathed on them. They've already had the Spirit in them, but now he's telling them of something different. Now wait until the promise of the Father comes upon you, right? And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, and this happened, this event happened probably sometime, days after his resurrection, and it seems to even hint at it might have been the 40th day, the very last day he was on the earth after his crucifixion, that Jesus said this to them. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. The passage in Luke that we just read in chapter 24, that was when he said it to them the first time. And now days later, he's telling them again, right before he ascends to heaven on the Mount of Olives, he tells them, remember what I told you? Wait for the promise of the Father. And what is the promise of the Father? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon, upon the church. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's what it says there in Acts chapter 1. And so this fulfillment, it would finally come to pass on the day of Pentecost. So Jesus says this to them, probably on day 40, and now there's 10 days yet before Pentecost. And then when Pentecost finally came, 50 days after the Passover, what happens? That had been prophesied for hundreds of years finally comes to fruition. What Joel, what Isaiah, what Jeremiah and some other prophets have spoken it finally happens. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, this is Acts chapter 2, where they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Filled them with the Spirit. And that's, that's what it was. He empowered them. He gave them power and strength. And that's why people were, were, were wondering, are these people drunk? And, and Peter stood up and he gave that great sermon where 3,000 people got saved. He said, no, these aren't people aren't drunk. It's that which was written. We just read that in Joel chapter 2. Peter says, this is a fulfillment of that prophecy. It's a fulfillment of that prophecy. It's happening. <laughs> And why did the Spirit come upon them? To entertain them? No. Gave them boldness. Gave them gifts that they could go out. And what was the purpose of, these, of this anointing, of this, the Spirit coming upon them? That they might share the wonderful works of God. That was it. To share with them the wonderful works of God. It had nothing to do with television. It had nothing to do with them, some preacher being famous for what he does on the pulpit. No. It was all about Christ and what he said that he was going to do. And it was going to glorify Christ. It was going to glorify him. And throughout the church, we don't have time to do this, and I'm just going to go through this quickly. You can take a picture of this. If you, I know that these verses are here, and you might not have time to write them down. Um, thinking about including a PDF document of these on our podcast. So if you subscribe to the Calvary Chapel podcast, um, on, uh, on either Google or on Apple, we'll start including these PDFs so that you can 
listen to the message again and look at these scriptures and, and, and slow it down, stop the recording, listen to it again and go look for this stuff yourself, read it for yourself and, and be encouraged and be able to share that with others because this ministry of the Spirit of God is important. And what happens to you? <laughs> you know, I want to know what happened to me. When God, when God came into my life, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. I didn't even know what the, I didn't know anything. And God had already done this. He's like, Rob, I'm not concerned about what you know or what you don't know. I'm just going to do it, and you'll pick up, you'll find out what happened later. And I'm so glad he didn't wait for me to go through the Bible and look. And so, okay, right now the Spirit of God has been walking alongside of me, and now he's in me. I get that, but he's going to come upon me, and he's like, don't worry about it. I'm just going to do it. You just be a willing vessel. You just be a willing vessel, and I'll take care of the rest. But it's good to know what's happened, isn't it? Isn't it good to know what has happened to you and what can happen to you and, and when the Lord uses you and he comes upon you in power? Again, for others' sake, to reach others, to glorify Jesus. That's why he does it. It's not about entertainment. And so these are scriptures where, uh, in the book of Acts, where the Spirit of God came upon the disciples, even Peter a second time and other times. He came upon Stephen. He came upon Saul. And it's wonderful. And so receiving the indwelling of the Spirit is something you can receive immediately by faith. And the filling or the baptism of the Spirit can occur at the time of conversion or it can happen at a separate time. And being filled with the Spirit can happen at any time and many times throughout your life. Remember, one baptism, many fillings. One baptism, many fillings. When you're baptized with the Spirit of God, one baptism, but there are many fillings, and God will fill you as he sees fit. But notice in verse 18, back in our text, he says, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. And certainly Jesus came to them after his crucifixion. Uh, the third day he rose, that very night he came to them in the upper room. In fact, there would be other times in that 40-day period where he was upon the earth that he would appear to his disciples, encouraging them. And we saw one in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. We saw when he told them again, you know, before he ascended into heaven on that 40th day, he told them, wait for the promise of the Father, guys. It's coming. Not many days from here. Literally 10 days from now, guys, it's going to happen on the day of Pentecost. And certainly Jesus is going to come for us at the rapture of the church. We will meet him in the air. And notice in verse 19, a little while longer and the world uh, will see me no more, but you see me because I live, you also will live. And at that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Notice the unity that God desires to have with you, the unity of God. You know, in the world, there is nothing but chaos and disunity, but in the Christian church, if we're walking in the Spirit, we are going to have a unity. Where else can we have so many people of different backgrounds, different races, all believing in Him, in Jesus, and we can get along sometimes? <laughs> sometimes, right? We, we can get along really good sometimes when we are walking in the Spirit. When we are self-focused, self-absorbed, self-centered, struggling with sin, there's not going to be so much unity. But when we are surrendered, let me tell you, that's a beautiful thing. When a church, and, and, and we, we experience that here, and I love that. Unity, real unity, in spite of all the stuff that's going on. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter your demographics. It doesn't matter your social status, how much money or money you don't have. It has nothing to do with whether you're Republican or Democrat or Independent or a Martian. It doesn't matter. You are a Christ one. You're a Christian. And let Christ govern your entire being and let the Holy Spirit have complete reign. May each of us be a conduit of God without any interference. You know, when you look at a lamp, you know, like a, a, a lamp that has a wick in it and, it, and, it, and it, you know, the gas or the oil in the bottom and an oil lamp, when that glass is clear, you can see right through it. But you know what? When we introduce sin, when we are not submitted to Christ, that lens, that glass becomes dirty and you can't see through it. See, God wants to see right through you. He wants to use you. He wants to work through you so that 
He can be glorified. And you know what? There's nothing greater. Is there anything greater than knowing that you've been used by God? There is no greater feeling that I have in this world than when I know that God has done something through me. And a lot of times it happens without even me even knowing about it, and I hear about it later. There's nothing greater than to be used by God, than to have the Spirit of God do something to help somebody else, to really minister to somebody else. There's no greater feeling than that. There's no greater feeling than to know that God is pleased with you. I mean, when you rest your head on the pillow at night, isn't that great? When you know you've done his will that day, he gives his beloved sleep. When you're walking with him, but if your life is filled with sin and unrepentant sin, your life's not going to be so kind. It's going to be bumpy. And why? Is it God's fault? No, it's all your fault. It is all your fault. It's all my fault. When I continue in my rebellion, when I continue in my sin, my life's going to be a mess. And You know what? Sometimes your life's even a mess when you're submitted to God, but it's a different kind of mess. There's self-inflicted mess, and then there's mess that just comes from attack from the enemy. And there's a difference. Because all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Your family may not like you, your people at work may not like you, but you know that you're right with God. And but, you know, when you've done something wrong, you're getting busted for it. That's all on you, <laughs> right? That's all on us. And so let the, land, let the lens be nice and clear. And how do you do that? You be honest with God. You spend time in his word. You read and you listen and you obey. Don't just listen and then do nothing. No, it has to, you have to listen and then we have to obey. It, it, there's no way around it. We can't just take it in. If it stays up here and doesn't make the extra 18 inches down to this heart of mine and, and provoke me to do something, my faith ought to produce something. If I say I have faith, didn't James say this? If I say I have faith you know, without works, then my faith is pretty empty. But because of my faith, because of my faith, there ought to be something that comes through. It's not my faith, or it's not my works that save me, it's my faith, but there ought to be something happening. If I really believe what Jesus says and everything that he says in his word, it ought to produce something, and it ought to change the way I do things. It ought to change my life, the way I think, the things I do, right? Am I, is that true? It's so important. So, Jesus said in verse 21, he says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Notice the difference there. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. People prove that they hate God by not doing his commandments. Now, don't get me wrong. Each one of us, even as believers, we can do things wrong, and we confess them, and we're restored, right? But there's a world out there that continues in their rebellion and in their sin, and, and, and this is not true for them. It's not true for them. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father also, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, because Judas had already hung himself, right? Or actually not yet, but a different Judas. I said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, verse 23, and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we, notice the pronoun there. Yes, pronouns are good in the Bible, they're not so good in schools. I'll, I'll, I'll stop there because I could very easily go off on a rant. Ugh. So, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he, and he says, and then we will come. Who's we? Well, God the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We will come to him and make our home with him. When the Spirit of God comes into your heart, He is indwelling you. You basically have the Godhead in your heart. Isn't that nice? He says, he's speaking of His Father. Did He not say it? He says, um, Jesus answered, said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, Jesus speaking of Himself, and my Father will love him, and then we will come to Him and make our home with Him. So when you receive the Spirit of God, you've got three other beings, really, the Godhead indwelling you. And they're all operating at the same time. They're all unified. So when I go into a diner someplace and I'm by myself, and they say, how many, uh, how, many do you, uh, how many in your party? I'll say four. And bring me a big menu because they're hungry too. And I'm going to eat for them, of course, right? So give me a big stack of pancakes. 
Make sure you bring the butter, lots of that butter, the warm stuff. You know the stuff in the circle that's nice and warm, and then the syrup just pouring over the top. Are we having bagel or uh, pancakes today or something? Um, but that's the idea. That's the idea. And notice... Verse 24, so he who does not love me, and here's the flip side of the coin, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And we see a lot of that, don't we? And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And so Jesus finally said, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. And again, he's preparing them. Guys, I'm not going to be here very much longer. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to go, but I'm going to send another comforter, the Holy Ghost. He's going to comfort you. He's going to be your helper. Because Jesus, while he was on the earth, he could only physically do so many things. I mean, he was there, touching. You know, he was very present in the moment. He was physical. But now he's saying, I can send my Holy Spirit who can do much more. And he's not limited by a body any longer. Do you get the point? So Jesus told them that he would leave. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, verse 26, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Notice that. He's going to lead you into all truth, and he's going to bring to your remembrance all the things that Jesus said to him. Now, we're going to see this over the next several uh, weeks, or next few weeks anyway, as we go through the next two chapters. But what was the purpose of the Holy Spirit given to us in John chapters 14 through 16. As I looked over those chapters, I just made a list of things that the Holy Spirit, his job, if you will, his job description that God has, has given to him. Notice, he will, we, we saw it here in this first verse. That number one, he will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. And he will bring to remembrance all the things that Jesus had spoken. He will testify of Jesus. He'll testify of him. He will convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will guide you into all truth. He won't guide you into a lie. He's going to guide you into all truth. And you know what? I believe it's even more than just the word of God that he's going to guide us into, which is the truth. He's certainly going to guide us in the truth. But I also believe that God, because he doesn't want us to be deceived, he's going to open our eyes to things that the, the rest of the world is completely deceived by. And he's going to go, and we're, it's going to open our eyes, and we're going to be like, Oh my gosh, it's so plain. Why can't you see it? Why can't you see what's happening? Anybody can see what's happening today? It's very clear to me. I don't know about you, but for those who don't know, they better open their eyes because the Bible's been talking about it for hundreds of years, a couple thousand years, and it's happening right before our eyes. If you're not seeing it, you need to take the blinders off. And the Spirit of God in you is the best thing that you got for, going for you. He's going to guide you into all truth, not only in his word, but also he's going to keep you and open your eyes. He's opened my eyes, and I hope he opens them a lot wider too because I'm susceptible to being bamboozled. And notice, only what he hears of the Father will he speak. So he's not a loose cannon. He doesn't, the Holy Spirit of God is God as well. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are all God, one God. Three persons. And the Holy Spirit just doesn't go, well, I feel like doing something different today, Lord. You know, I'm just, I'm kind of tired of doing the same thing. I just want to do something a little weird. I just want to, like, cause a, you know, something to happen. And the Lord's going, oh, no. And the Spirit of God is submitted to the Son, and the Son is submitted to the Father. That is the order of things. And so the Spirit of God is not going to do anything that Jesus wouldn't have him do. And that God the Father wouldn't have him do. And he will tell you things to come. He has been telling us things to come. Hasn't he by the Spirit? We got into Revelation. He's already told us that the bigger picture. People need to know the bigger picture. They'd probably feel a lot better inside if they knew what was coming. It wouldn't be such a mystery. I can't imagine living today not knowing Christ. Not knowing what the Bible says. How can people live? And I know how they live. You know how they live? They drink, and they take drugs, and they have illicit relationships to quell the pain that's inside of them because they have no clue what's happening. But you and I, not so much. We've got the Spirit of God, and he's told us the truth. 
He's led us into all truth, and he will continue to lead us into all truth. Hallelujah. (laughs) And notice at the end of verse 26, he'll bring to your remembrance all things which I have told you. I love what it says in Luke chapter 12. Jesus told his disciples this. He says, now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Don't even worry about it, guys. When they bring you, I will speak to you, and you just open your mouth, and it happens. You don't have to worry. You don't have to plan. You don't have to have your, you know, get out your three-by-five cards as you stand before the president and say, um, oh, where's that note? Where's that scripture? The Lord's going, just relax. Didn't he do that in Stephen as he stood before the Sanhedrin? Before they stoned him to death? He gave them a Bible study starting in Moses. And they're probably rolling their eyes going, okay, we know the law. (laughs) He gave them a Bible study. And I tell you, you you read those uh, Acts chapter 7 and 8. You read how long it took for him to talk that. And they still stoned him. But he didn't worry about what to say. The Spirit of God gave him that instant where to start and where to go. And he did it faithfully. And then he yielded up the ghost. (laughs) Verse 27, it says, Peace, Jesus says, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Because the world doesn't give you peace. The world gives you anxiety. Just watch the news. Yes, even Fox News. You've got a steady diet of Fox News. I'd recommend that you have a steady diet of the Word of God instead. Granted, they're probably less uh, slimy than the others, but they're still pretty slimy. Don't touch the golden calf of Fox News. <sighs> Could care less about Fox News. May they all go under. CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. Cut them off. Cut them off. Cut the cable. Snip. Cut Twitter and Facebook. Just cut it. But let me tell you what I really think. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Sorry, I I, I can be opinionated and a, a jerk, and I apologize, sort of. But Jesus says, verse 28, You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. And if you love me, you would rejoice, because I said I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And verse 29, And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. That's what, a, that's what he's doing. He's preparing. And Jesus has been, preparing, has been preparing his disciple for what was coming and what would happen after his ascension. Why? Because this is what a good shepherd does. This is what Jesus does. This is what a good shepherd does. And this is also what we need to be doing as well, preparing others, preparing our family members, our kids, our grandkids, if you have them. Prepare them. Tell them the truth. Because listen, Jesus is coming soon for his bride, and he wants as many on that train as possible before it leaves the depot. He wants everybody on that train. And that requires you and I to be listening, to be ambassadors, right? It does. It requires us to be led by the Spirit of God. It requires us being in the Word, to know what it says, to be able to share it with people who are hurting. There's no greater balm, there's no greater remedy than the Word of God being spoken, being read, being acted upon. There's no greater remedy. And notice... And we need to do that to our, with our family, our friends, our kids, everybody that we can think of as the Lord leads us. Jesus said finally in verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. And see, that's what we want as well. That's what I want. I want to do what the Father wants me to do. Isn't that what you want? I mean, really. I mean, why would you come to church unless that's really your heart? We, the, the, our gathering together cannot just be a, a, a social thing. It is that, but it's not the central, it's not the most important thing. We have to allow the Lord to, to take control of us. If there's any part of you today that the, God doesn't have a hold of, would you give him the keys today? Would you give him the keys 
Invite him into every dark area of your heart. And I'm doing the same thing with me. I want, him to, I want to open it all up. Do you want to really hide for the rest of your life? Do you still want to hide from those things? Or do you want to give him the keys? Hand him the big, you know, those, <laughs> those guys. You know, remember uh, Schneider? Remember what, what show was that? The guy with the T-shirt and he had the big ring of keys and it just like walking like that walking like Quasimodo. He had this big, give him the keys. Grab all the keys to your heart and give them to him and say, Lord, you search every area and whatever you find darkness, just kill it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Shine the searchlight of your spirit and wipe out the darkness. And may there only be the light of Christ. Oh, man. That is real life, folks. That is real life. Don't be afraid of it. The, more, the closer you get to him, the more joy you're going to have in your heart the more joy you're going to have in your heart. But notice what he says, but the world may know, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, notice, so I do. Notice the dependence. And he says, arise, let us go from here. They didn't go very far uh, from this place because we know that there's two other chapters and then John chapter 17. Wherever they went, they might have just stood there and uh, for a while or maybe went outside the upper room. But the next place that Jesus would go, from this place would be to the Mount of Olives, just to the east of the Temple Mount, east of Jerusalem, down through the Valley of Kidron, up the other side to Mount, the Mount of Olives, to Gethsemane. And that's where he would be with his disciples before he would be wrongfully taken and then he would be crucified hours later. But are you submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you want to be born again? If you're not born again today, would you please? You don't need anybody. You can do it from in your own heart. You don't need, we don't need to call people up. But I would encourage you, if you, if you want to pray and receive and, and be born again, come up after the service and pray. Pray with somebody next to you. Do you want the Spirit of God to come upon you in power? Well, put yourself in places where he can do that. He's not going to do it if I'm sitting on the couch. But if I'm out talking to people and I'm out at Wegmans, I'm out at other places, you'd be surprised what the Spirit of God will do and you'll have no control over it. You'll start to speak and the words will come forth and you have no idea, but the Spirit of God just came upon you and that person is captivated. They're listening to every word you're saying and it's making an impact. And you didn't plan it. You didn't control it. Pray for that. Pray for that. Finally, one verse and we'll finish and, and thank you for your patience. Luke chapter 11. Let me read this to you. Jesus says, So now I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Notice, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will you give him a stone? And the obvious answer is no. Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead of a fish? The obvious answer is no. Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? The obvious answer is no. If you then, Jesus said, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's ask him today. And all this week, wake up when you wake up in the morning, say, Lord, would you fill me with your spirit at your time Whenever it is that you want, Lord, I'm available. Open my heart and help me to open my mouth and baptize me, fill me, that I can, you know, because when Peter gave that sermon in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, do you realize there was nothing really spectacular about the sermon? I mean, the content of it was excellent. But without the Holy Spirit empowering him, coming upon him, that speech would have landed three feet from his from where he was standing. But when the Spirit of God came upon him, everyone was captivated. The same words, under the influence of the Spirit of God, that person, Peter, being filled with the Spirit of God, a whole different ballgame, folks. All of a sudden, everyone is listening, and they're like, 
They're mesmerized. They're listening. And what is the ingredient? The only thing that was different is the Spirit of God upon him. And see, that's what we need. That's why we need to pray for it every day. Lord, wherever I'm at, if I'm in Trader Joe's, if I'm in Wegmans, and I'm talking with the teller, or I'm talking with somebody in line, or I'm talking to a coworker, a friend, a family member, Lord, you do it whenever you want. Just open my heart and use me. And you'll be surprised how often the Spirit of God will come upon you. And you won't be flopping around like a, like a fish on the ground. You won't be doing some aberrant thing, barking like dogs and flapping your wings like chickens and you know, making noises like a snake or a dog. No, he's going to, it's very gentle, very peaceful. You probably won't even know it. You're just so glad to talk and somebody's listening and it just happens. And it's done. It's really simple. It really is simple. It doesn't have to be hard. In fact, don't even think about it. Just be open and let him do it. Just let him do it. Amen? I know I've kept you long. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we just thank you for, uh, Lord, this passage, and we pray, Lord, you'd fill us today, Lord. Wherever we go, fill us with your Spirit. Lord, help us never to be afraid, but simply ask. And we do ask you, Lord, if any of us are not born again, may today be the day of salvation. And, and Lord, even for those of us who know you, would you please come upon us with power as you have done on the day of Pentecost and you still continue to do. Lord, would you please do that in our lives that for, the, for the purpose of other people coming to know you, God. And we thank you, Lord, that you love us and we thank you that you love people. Lord, enlighten our hearts. We're burdened about many things. We're struggling about many things. Would you please lift us out of this pile that we're in? And help us, Lord Jesus. We ask it in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Have a great day.